I don't think we give uh, our worship team enough thanks for what they do. Thank you guys so much for leading us every week. These guys get here every week and practice and plan during the week. And so I really appreciate all that Dan and the team does to uh, just lead us in worship each week. All right, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And anybody else in the room sick? Anyone? Like throat sick, coughing sick. This is the annual time of year where I get sick, like this weird voice thing. So um, at some point in the talk, I'm probably going to lose my voice or sound like a cheerleader after a pep rally. So just get used to it. But turn to Luke chapter 15. And we've been looking at a story that Jesus tells in Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And this morning, I'm going to have you read it at your tables. So just in a little bit, we're going to read that at your tables. So uh, someone volunteer themselves. It's a really good, quick reader, okay? Um, you can volunteer yourself at your table. And uh, look at verses, we'll read verses uh, 11 through 32. And so don't do the whole thing where you go around and like this person reads a verse, that person, that never works well. So just one person, read it all the way through each table and uh, go ahead and read that now. Go. Okay, I think everyone's pretty much done reading that. If they're not, they're like, they don't want to admit it because they're like, that means we're the slow readers in the room. All right, so um, we'll do some more discussion just a little bit uh, with that. But we've been looking at this passage for, this is the fifth week in the exact same passage. And you guys keep coming back, so I'm just going to keep teaching the same thing over and over again until you guys, until we clear the room out, all right? Um, but here's why we're, we're staying in this one passage for up to seven weeks. Here's why. I know it seems like overkill, but this story is, I think, one of the best summaries of the gospel that Jesus ever tells. And at TBC, we want you to understand the gospel not just intellectually, but understand how it applies to every aspect of your life. There are so many of us that grow up in the church that you understand grace, the idea of grace. If I said, what's the definition of grace? You could tell me that grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God. You could say that, but here's the issue. So many of us intellectually understand grace. We would say we believe in grace, but here's the issue, though. You live out works. In your life, you actually live out a gospel of works, not one based on grace. So this story, I think, is so important because our hope is that the gospel impacts every aspect of your being. And you're going to find real quick in the Christian life that growing spiritually does not mean that you become a Christian, understand the gospel, and then you graduate from the gospel. It means that you grow deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel throughout the rest of your life. That is what it means to grow as a Christian. And God's going to unveil things to you throughout your life that you're going to go, okay, I've got to reroute myself back into the story of Jesus and the story of the gospel. That's where my life comes from. 
And so it might seem like overkill, but um, this past week I was reminded of an analogy. I work out with a guy uh, three days a week named Shane, and he's a, a good friend of mine, so we work out together. And, um, and the funny thing is, on Friday, on Friday he said, hey, I can't make it, I'm sick. So I go by myself. And I notice that whenever I go by myself, I work out like half as hard, okay? I'm just like, yeah, no one's around, whatever. I need two reps, I'm done, okay? And so, but when he's there, he's pushing me. And there's always those last three repetitions. If I'm going for 10, at number seven is where if I was by myself, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. But when Shane's there, he's like, no, keep pushing, keep pushing. And so the last three repetitions are the ones that are the most painful, where you feel the burn. You're just like, why am I doing this? This is so stupid, right? And so Shane's pushing me, and it's the one that you feel the burn, and you're like, why am I doing this, all right? So these last three weeks for this series are going to be like those last three repetitions for you guys, all right? I want you to feel the burn, all right? We're going to feel the burn. It's going to be, it might be difficult to talk about the same thing over and over again, but I want you to understand these are the three reps that are going to make you grow the most, okay? They're the most painful, but they're going to make you grow the most. So as we're looking at this story, you guys just read the story, and uh, Jesus tells a story about a, a father and two sons. The older son is a rule keeper. Younger son's a rule breaker. Younger son asks for his father's inheritance. The father gives it to him. He goes off to a faraway place and squanders it. Um, the older brother actually says to him that he, he's accused of seeing prostitutes, doing who knows what else. And he comes back home, totally broken and humbled, asks the father if he can be at least a slave in the family. And the father says, no, I'm going to make you a son, not just a slave. I'll make you into my son again. Brings out the fatted calf, brings out a robe, brings out jewelry, puts it on him. And um, they're having this great welcome home party for the younger son. Meanwhile, the older son gets angry and upset. And the father says to him, he says, everything that I have is yours as well to the older son. And so we're left hanging wondering, is the older son going to come into the party? We don't find out the end of the story. If this was a movie, you'd walk out mad, right? Because you're like, he didn't tell us the end. What was the end? And the whole point was that Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you guys have to make a decision. They were the end of the story, so to speak. He's putting the question in their court saying, will you as the Pharisees, these self-righteous, legalistic people, will you come into the party, the kingdom of God, that I offer to everyone? So the invitation is to the Pharisees, and the invitation is also to us as well. And so in life, we know there are two kinds of people generally. There are the rule breakers and the rule keepers. And I notice this even in my kids right now. My son is uh, just turned four, and uh, Sienna is about a year old now, 13 months old. And so uh, a few weeks ago, my son Landon and I, we go out to this little restaurant to get some food to go, this Chinese place. And, uh, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting at a table as we look at the menu and as we're about to place our order. And so this girl walks over, who's a waitress, she walks over and she says, okay, are you guys ready to order? And, and um, I see her kind of smiling at Landon, and I'm like looking at Landon, and he's got this big grin like this on his face. He's just going. And I'm like, okay, all right, he's happy to see her, all right, whatever. And, um, and she says, she goes, hi. And he goes, I love you. I am not joking. And 
that was the first time that ever happened. So I was just going, like, what do you say to that? You're the dad. Like, what do you say, right? And so, I, I mean, what, what, how do you respond? He's like, oh, sorry. He missed his nap today. Like, what excuse do you make up for that statement, right? And so we're, we're going on. I'm like, Landon, you don't just tell random people that you love them, especially young ladies, right? And he's like, but, but she was beautiful. Like he said, she, he was, he was, she was so pretty. And I'm going, what in the world? Like, you're four years old. And so he's a kid that loves to push the envelope, loves to push boundaries. If there are rules in society, he's just like, yeah, who cares, Right? You can tell people you love them if you don't even know. I'm like, at least know her name first, okay? Like, you don't even know her name. So um, that's my son. Sienna, on the other hand, she's more of like the rule follower, at least at this point. Uh, she just, you just kind of look at Sienna. You just look at her and go, Sienna, and she'll be like, ah! starts crying, you know? And so um, most people lean in one of those two directions, though, correct? And so this story, what we see, though, is that both sons are completely lost, one is lost because he rebels and goes off in the distant, faraway place and, and idolizes sin. The other son is lost because he thinks he is saved by following the rules. But both are just as lost. And so the younger son types know they're lost. They're the ones that know. It's pretty obvious to them that they know they're lost. The older son types don't know that they're lost. Now today we're going to focus once again on the older son. Because what I think has to happen is, for the people in this room, for you to know that you're like the older son, we've got to do a a second week on the older son. Because I really sense God saying to me this past week, we've got to cut a little bit deeper when it comes to the older son mindset. Because I don't think all of us are quite there yet. All of us don't really quite understand that that is us. For us, for many of us, we are the kind of people who think that God loves us just because we obey him. Or we think that our faith is wrapped up in just following rules. And so today we're going to cut a little bit deeper into the older son mindset. And so what I want to do is just raise some questions. How do you know if you are like the older son? I'm just going to hit you with some questions, okay, just to think about. How do you know if you're like the older son? The first question is this. Are you angry? I don't mean like today, right? Like, how did he know? Um, I mean, like, just in general, are you a person that struggles with anger? Are you a person that just struggles with just flying off the handle if somebody doesn't go your way? In this story, the, the older brother becomes angry because life didn't go as he wanted it to, so he becomes angry at the father. Is this you? When life doesn't go as you want, do you just get angry? You see, older son types think if they live a good life, they'll get a good life. They think if I follow all the rules, then God's going to do good things for me. God's going to bless me materially. And here's what happens. It's not that they just go into fits of rage and then get over it. This kind of person, the anger leads to a lifestyle of bitterness and resentment. So everything that they experience in life, there's this simmering rage and bitterness and resentment towards people and towards God. So the question is, are you a person that struggles with anger in a real way? Have you ever noticed how people who are angry people always blame anger on their circumstances? They say things like, oh, well, I wouldn't have gone off and done that if, if, if this hadn't happened. 
or if that hadn't happened. But the real common denominator is you, right? Just getting angry all the time. I even notice this with us. I think with a lot of us in the room, a lot of you guys like to vent, especially on Facebook, right? You just like to vent. It's just, it's like one of the, I love Facebook. It's also one of the worst inventions ever because everyone's craziness is just out there for everyone to see, right? It's like I can know someone and go, you know, I didn't realize you were so crazy until we had Facebook, okay? And, and so many of us just vent frustration about circumstances, about situations. And if I confronted you on your anger, you might say, no, no but Dave, I'm not, I'm not angry at God. I'm just angry, angry at the situation. I'm just angry at my circumstances. Really? Do you think it's possible to be angry only at circumstances and not have some anger towards God? So are you angry? The second one, are you spiritually competitive? Are you spiritually competitive? Do you keep spiritual score? Do you look at people and think, okay, I don't do those kinds of things. I, I do some really good things. They don't do those kinds of things. This is how the older son type feels significant, right? They keep score because whenever there's a score to keep, they can feel like, okay, I'm, I'm ahead in the race. I know where I stand. So are you spiritually competitive? Do you say things like, I would never do something as bad as what she did or as bad as what he did? When it comes to spiritual comparison, the only person you should compare yourself to is Jesus. That's it. When you compare yourself to Jesus, we all suck compared to Jesus, okay? All right? It's true. When you look at Jesus, you realize, okay, this is how sinful I really am. When you compare yourself to someone else, yeah, you can keep some score there. But when you look at Jesus, you go, okay, this is the perfect son of God. When I compare myself to him, that's why I need a savior. Are you spiritually competitive? Third question. Are you forgiving? Are you a person that when you are wronged, the gospel is so real in your life that you can look at someone and say, you know what? How can I not show this person grace and mercy when so much grace and mercy has been shown to me? Has it transformed you to where you can forgive someone in the same way that Christ forgave you? You know, it's impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to them. If you feel like you're better than they are, of course you're not going to forgive someone, right? In fact, I would even say that older son types, the older son mindset, even when this person does forgive someone, they are often just putting up a facade of forgiveness just so that person can be indebted to them, right? They're just saying, yes, I'll forgive you for that wrong that you so heinously committed against me, but you owe me. You owe me now. And so they have this way of putting people in debt to them spiritually and relationally. And so what I want you to do is go do questions one through four, and we'll ask some more questions here in just a little bit. Do questions one through four at your tables. Go ahead and discuss.
How we doing, people? You guys good? I don't want to cut anyone off now, so I'm... Cassie's laughing. We're good. That's what your, your, that's what your mother just said to me. Kathy's laughing, so they're not talking about anything. It's serious anymore. All right, so um, I have three more, three more questions to ask you, so turn to the screen. The next one is this. How do you know if you're like the older son, do you joyfully spend time with God? And the key word there is joyfully. Not do you spend time with God, but do you joyfully spend time with God? What is your motive for spending time with God? Is it to cross it off of a list, or is it to get to know him? Well, good, good. Spiritual show off. Are you spiritually competitive? But why, why should I date my wife? Why should I date my wife? Is it to cross it off of a list, or is it to get to know her? Good answer. And there was a female that gave that answer, so the guys need to learn some things from that. So if, if I go to my wife and say, okay, Courtney, um, I've got this list of things to do, and, uh, okay, there's mowing the grass, there's taking out the trash, going to the playground with the kids, and um, it says here we're supposed to go on a date. So will you go on a date with me next Friday? She'd be like, I don't want to now, right? So if, but when, when I ask her to go on a date with me, and yes, when you get married, you should still go on dates, just so you know. Um, but if I say, let's go out on a date, then the whole point of that should be to get to know her, right? To get, just ask her questions. Like, I haven't seen her all week because the kids consume all of your time, right? So, but the point of that is not to cross it off a list, but it should be to ask her questions, to get to know her where she's at right now, spiritually, just with life, ask her questions. If, if it was just to cross it off of a list, if, if my taking her on a date was just to cross it off of a list, then I would pick a restaurant that has lots of TVs and sports, right? And if it was just to cross it off a list, I would make sure that there's a TV just over her left shoulder that um, she couldn't see. And that as I'm talking to her, I, I could still watch TV while I'm talking to her. And the conversation would be really awkward because she'd, I'd say something like, how's work? And then I'd be going, go, 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 right? And so if, if my whole motive was to cross it off a list, that's what it would probably look like. But the point of spending time with her is to get to know her. The point of spending time with God is to get to know God. I went to a conference last month in uh, San Diego and Francis Chan was one of the speakers, the guy with the, the, um, the weird goatee that we watch on the videos sometimes. And um, he was speaking. And um, one of the questions he asked at the very end really stuck with me. He said, I want to ask you, he said, I don't want to say just how's your prayer life. But he said, how's your intimacy with God? What is your, not just your prayer life, but how is your closeness, your intimacy with God? And that really stuck with me because I can so easily just go and pray and cross it off my list without really connecting with him. And that really challenged me to think, okay, what does it mean to connect with God? What does that look like? And I feel like God said to me, well, just just be honest with me. Just tell me what's on your heart, what's on your mind. Be honest. 
Like, oh, that's a good idea. I should probably be honest with God. And so when you go to God, don't, what are your fears? What are you fearing right now? What are your real sins that you're struggling with? It, talk to God about that. Be honest with God. Honesty in any relationship leads to more closeness, intimacy. Now, I know that on some sense, nothing can change our relationship with God. If you are a believer, that, that cannot change no matter what. But there is a certain element that is relational to our walk with God where if we don't spend time with him, he is going to feel distant. It's going to feel that way, right? And so it's harder for older son types to be honest in their prayers because they're trying to protect something. They're trying to protect themselves from who they really are inside. They don't want to go, they don't want to see that. And I think many of us see human relationships as our real relationships and our walk with God as something less than, and it's really the opposite, right? God is our most true, most real relationship, and the ones that you have in this room are the ones that are less real, less honest, less transparent. God is the most real relationship that you will ever have, and everything else is a derivative of that, not the other way around. Next question, do you serve out of joy or fear? Do you serve out of joy or fear? The book I've been taking this series from by Tim Keller, he says this quote, and it's stuck with me. He says, when they, go to the next slide, when they, meaning older son types, do good works, they are not really feeding the hungry and clothing the poor. They are feeding and clothing themselves. Ouch. We, we do things because we want to feel good about ourselves and not feel guilty. And so we do things out of the wrong motive. Now, here's what some of you guys are going to do as I say that. As soon as I bring up motive, many of you are going to say, okay, so that means that if I don't have the right motive, then I shouldn't do certain things, right? If I don't have the right motive, then I shouldn't go and do this and serve. If I don't have the right motive then I really shouldn't go and pray and read my Bible because my motives need to be right, right? So I don't want to do that until my motives are correct. Now, listen. If this is you, if you're someone that lets your, if you overthink your motives and you say, I'm not going to do that or this because my motives aren't totally pure, therefore I'm not going to do that. That is the wrong answer. That's replacing one sin with another sin. The correct response is to still serve, still go and pray, still read your Bible, and while you're doing that, repent of your motives. Going back to the dating picture, if I went to my wife and said, I really want to take you out on a date, but I'm in, as I'm examining myself and my motives, I discovered that my motives are not right. So I'm going to stay home and watch TV. Right? That's essentially what you're doing with God, right? You're like, oh, you're so, you're so observant of yourself. You're so self-aware. You, you know yourself so well. And so the, the issue is, in spite of your bad motives, sometimes God can use your obedience in spite of your bad motives to change your heart. Go to the next slide. 
If your motive is wrong or your heart's not in something, you should still obey. Here's what I think God does sometimes. God often uses our obedience to pull our hearts out of the rut that they're in. So even if your heart's not in something, you don't really want to do that. It might mean that you need to do that thing to obey God to pull your heart out of the rut that it's in. Whether it be a human relationship or your relationship with God. Because when you obey God, I think God does something in our heart. He sparks something in us towards changing our heart. Next question. Do you get defensive when someone criticizes you? Do you get defensive when someone else criticizes you? I know no one is overjoyed about criticism. I know none of us are like, if, if, I, if I confront you, none of us are going to be like, oh, thank you. That is, I am so glad you said that about me. That makes me feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. No one's going to say that. So criticism always hurts to an extent. But older son types, criticism doesn't just hurt for a moment. For older son types, criticism totally devastates them because they can't handle someone else seeing a chink in their armor. They can't handle someone else seeing a flaw in their personality. Because their whole significance is worth and worth is based on performance, how people perceive them. And so as we think about these questions, I think that the older son types of people are often the kinds of people that can help create the younger son types of people, especially in the church. I know that it's, it's, it's true that the church tends to, to attract the older son types of people, the self-righteous, the legalistic, the hypocrites the Pharisees. And so I think what happens is people who are coming into the church and they want to understand Christ's grace, they might have more of a younger son mindset than someone else. And they, 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 they see these older son types face to face and they start to go, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with that. If that's what it means to follow Christ, I want no part of that. About two months ago, um, I've told like, I'm telling a lot of gym stories today. Sorry about that. But um, I was at the gym uh, a couple months ago, and there's this guy I've seen regularly that's come in there. And um, we start talking one day just randomly. And it turns out um, he's from this part of Virginia that a lot of my family is from, kind of like the western part, like where the Shenandoah Valley comes down, like right in this farming area of Virginia is where my family is from. And so um, he says he's from this small town that I'm like, no one's ever going to know where that is except for this guy who's from there. And so he says that he's from this area. I said, well, hey, my grandmother is from that same town, and her, her maiden name was Garber, okay? And I said, would you happen to know any Garbers? And he goes, really? He goes, I am one, right? And I'm like, no way. And so I'm talking to this guy that I'm probably related to somehow. And, um, and so we start talking. So after that, it was kind of awkward because um, it's probably a relative. And I'm like walking in going like, hey, hey, man, uh. I guess we should talk because we're related. Um, you know, it's like this really awkward thing. But we start talking one day, and, uh, and I tell him what I do for a living here at the church. And so we start talking, and um, I said, so you were kind of raised in the church, but so what happened with that? Like, how did you, where did you end up with that? And he said, well, honestly, I can't stand Christians, and if I meet one, I walk the other way. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, you know. And uh, so we start talking about that, and um, what he said to me was, the reason why he felt that way was because he said, 
The people in my church growing up were such hypocrites and self-righteous and looked down their nose at people that weren't like them. He said, I wanted nothing to do with them. And I think for many of us this is true, that you might reject Jesus because of what you've seen in the church. You might reject Christ because you've seen the older brother mindset in the church. And I want to challenge you this morning that that is not the gospel. That's not Jesus. If you're against self-righteousness, hypocrisy, legalism, well, good news, so is Jesus. Jesus is against those things. And so you have that part correct. But the incorrect response to that is don't abandon his bride, the church, because you see hypocrisy in the church, because you see legalism and self-righteousness in the church. That is not the correct response. So Jesus' point in telling the story is that both of these journeys, older son mindset, younger son mindset, these, both, of these story, both of these journeys are complete and total dead ends. But there's a third radical way that Jesus wants us to take, and we're going to discuss what that looks like next week. Go ahead and discuss your last four questions, and then pray to close out.